Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We have been ministering last, I don't know, three, four weeks on worship, and I don't know that I'm finished with that, but the Lord took me in a different direction today. And um, I want to preface this message by saying I'm going to talk a little politics today, but this is not a political message, other than to say politics is part of our lives. You can't get away from it. Gina and I went Thursday evening to um, see the movie The Trump Prophecy. And um, it was an interesting movie in, in, in that this fireman, and they never did say exactly where he was from, but he was somewhere down south, I got this prophecy. He, he had, a, as most first responders are, he had some very traumatic experiences. And the last straw, and he retired after this was they responded to a fire and he had to pull a dead child out of a burning building and he just couldn't deal with it anymore and so he he had like four or five months of um, vacation and and um, sick leave so he took it and then he officially retired but but the vast majority of the movie was his struggle of how to deal with ptsd over this event and he had a lot of spiritual opposition. You know, I loved the, the comment that, you know, being in an abusive relationship is a sin. Most of us, and in, in our day and age, we look, and, and I'm not, please don't get me wrong here, if, if someone is being abused, the abuser is the sinner. But if you're being abused, if you just sit and take it, then you're, you're enabling. There is a time, you know, the Bible says in the New Testament, Paul says, if a man is pleased to, to have a wife, then let them remain if they're unequally yoked. If they're already married and one becomes a Christian, that if, if the husband is pleased to keep his wife, let them stay married. Well, if, if a husband's abusing his wife, or I've seen it the other way around, where wives abuse their husbands, if someone's being abusive, they're not pleased. And you are free to walk out of that relationship. And in fact, you need to draw some of those lines. Well, in, in the same way, we sometimes look at uh, PTSD and, and some of these other aff afflictions, and we think this is just a natural response. I've had a trauma, and it haunts me. I understand that. I, I deal with PTSD. There are times from, from some of the things that went on in my life that just out of the blue, it's right there. It's at my door. It's like it happened five minutes ago. But you have to resist it. You have to learn. That's not who I am. And it does not have a right to come in, and I'm not going to allow it to rule my life. And, and this movie, as much as it was about President Trump, and, and it was, that was the, the, the center of the attention, 
the majority of the movie was about him learning to deal with his PTSD and the spiritual walk that he had to make to conquer this. And then the, the, the last section of the, of the um, movie was about the church deciding that it's time that, that in, instead of staying on the sidelines and being uninvolved in, in the politics of our nation, that we are going to get involved. But the primary emphasis of that involvement was the involvement of prayer. And I'll be honest with you, after this week, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm in, you know, I think it was, um, oh, early 20th century, Will Rogers, and even before him, Mark Twain. You know, you can take every comedian all the way back from the founding fathers, and they all joked about the idiots in Washington. Well, they played the role this week. All of them did. You know, everybody was mad at everybody. And, 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 and you get to the point where you just want to wash your hands of it. But we don't have that luxury. We do not have the luxury of standing back and just, I wash my hands, Nero tried, or not Nero, but Pilate tried to do that. It didn't work. He's still responsible for sending Jesus to the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. He's no more responsible for sending Jesus to the cross than I am. My sin put Jesus on that cross as much as of, of um, Pilate washing his hands. You cannot. To, to say I'm not going to make a decision is making a decision. That's just a fact. But this is, the, this is the, the, the scripture I want to focus in on because this is, I believe this is something that God's given me and it's a call for us as a body and I, I pray it, it, it expands beyond just our body. This is a call to prayer. 2 Chronicles seven thirteen through 15 says, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. What I saw here in verse 13, it says, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. This is telling me, that verse right there is telling me that when there are problems... And my God, you don't have to look, you don't have to even look hard to realize we got problems. We got problems in our families. We've got problems in our, 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 our local governments. We've got problems in our state governments. We've got problems in our federal government. We've got problems worldwide. You don't even have to throw a rock. You can just reach out and touch a problem. Problems are part, and I am convinced that because we are part of the very last of the last generation. I, there, there is absolutely no prophecy that has to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back. None. Well, I'll take that back. The, the, the shout and the blast of, of Gabriel's horn. That's it. That's all that's left. And, and the closer we get to his return, the nastier and the more like the tribulation period, which is going to be one of the worst periods that this planet has ever seen, the more like that the world is going to become. But we can't just stand back and say, well, that's just how things are. No, it's how things are because we, the people, are, when we see problems, we wash our hands and want to escape. 
instead of getting involved and fighting the spiritual warfare. Because it's not a natural warfare. I guarantee you, you're never going to argue someone into believing and agreeing with you on politics. Now, you, well, you all know me. You, you are not going to meet a person that has much less strong uh, political opinions than I do. Now, most people, my political opinions are kind of like my theology. Everybody thinks they know them, but I, I don't open up about them very much. Because who cares what I think? <laughs> like I've said before, I, I, have, I can remember the first president that I literally had a memory of was President Eisenhower in the 50s. I remember hearing the jingle, you know, during the presidential elections. I like Ike. From Eisenhower to Trump, and none of them ever called me for advice. It just shocks me. I mean, why would they not? I'm a smart guy. That tells you how much influence I'm going to have on our government. They don't care what I think. And, and let me tell you, the people on Facebook don't care what I think. The people on Instagram and Snapchat don't care what I think politically. But God does care what I pray. And when I see problems, I have to understand. Now, this was, this was God speaking to his covenant people. In, in our situation, the problems that we see are not, not really God directly bringing a curse upon us. They are a result of our, our nation sinning collectively. And problems always follow sin. You cannot help it. Now that does not mean, I, I, my pastor in, in, when we were in Tulsa, when I was in Bible school, uh, made this statement one time and I've always found it to be true. There are only two reasons that you will ever have a problem in life. One is you did something wrong, you sinned. The other is you did something right. That's it. Which tells you problems are coming. Whether you're sinning or whether you're living a righteous life, problems are going to be part of your life. It's part of being in this world. It's how we approach the problems. And, and what God is calling us here is it's when, when you are faced with problems, it's a call to action. And that action always has to begin with prayer. If you are not praying about the situation, then you are part of the problem. Now verse 14, notice the very first thing he says. If my people, who are called by my name, this is not a call to the world. Now we have every president from, I don't know how long this has been going on. I don't know the history of it that well. But, but at least in, in my lifetime, once a year there's always the National Day of Prayer. And the president calls on every person to pray. Well, I don't want everybody to pray. I want Christians that know the word to pray. They will have effective prayers. Now, uh, other people have the, the right to pray. They have the ability to pray. God love them. Let them pray. I'm not against that. But God's not listening to unbelievers' prayers. He's only listening to the people. And He says, if my people that are called by my name. He said, if you do not have a relationship with me, I'm not listening 
Now, I'll give you a, just a practical uh, example. I'm around here all the time, and I love it when I come by in the afternoon. If Beck comes out on his bicycle, it's, I'm like a magnet to that little boy. He just zips by me, and we always have some kind of interchange. Usually I'm teasing him, and he just, I love it because, see, six, six years old, and I cannot get ahead of that kid. I will zing him, and he hits me back just as hard as I hit him, and there's no hesitation. He comes right back at me, and I just, I love that personality. But, but if, when, the other day I was out here, and um, he was, you know, he was showing off a little bit. He wanted to show, show me how fast he was riding. And he went down around the, the, the driveway, and he turned around, and Wes is standing there, and the next thing you know, wham, he hit Wes from the back, and I mean, I would have cried if it had been me. Hit me, it had brought tears to my eyes. And, you know, Lee was right there, and he ran over to West. West just kind of shook his head and thought, okay, part of life. And I thought, wow, this is one tough kid. And, and Beck was, I don't think Beck got hurt, but he was, a little, he was a little afraid. But I can guarantee you, both of those little boys, when that happened, they both know me. They would both feel free to come up to me. And I play with both of them. I like both of them. I love them. They're great kids. They did not look to me for help. They looked to daddy for help. They, they, if they're going to cry out for help, they're crying out to dad because that's where their help comes from. That's what God's trying to tell us here. You call out to me because I am your only help in, the in these times of trouble. And most of us are too busy watching our stupid TV shows. I know I'm, I'm, I'm smacking you all around a little bit, and I'm, I may be preaching to the choir, because I know a lot of you are involved in prayer. But I'm telling you, God has just dealt with me. This, we're not doing enough. But, but notice, he says, this is a call to my people. But what's the first thing he says that we need to do? He's going to ask us to do four things. He says the first thing is, humble yourself. The very first action we are required to do is to seek humility. And I, I, I thought of the scripture immediately. It's the last part of 1 Peter 5, 5, where Paul, or Peter said, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Paul tells us in Romans 4, let me just read this, this, this short passage, but I want to read it in context so that you, you get the, the, the whole flavor. In Romans 4, starting with verse 13, he's talking here about Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham and how that promise is now extended to us. And he says, for the promise, and this is the promise of salvation. And we have to also understand that salvation is not just a pie in the sky by and by. It's not just when I die, I'm going to get to go to heaven. Salvation has started today. The same Paul that wrote this also wrote in Ephesians that we are seated together with him today in heavenly places. Right now, I'm standing in the pulpit at Faith Community Church, but I am also seated with Jesus in heavenly places. That's my spiritual authority. So when he's saying this, Paul in, in, in Romans 4, he's saying this promise, this promise is of a total salvation. It's spirit, soul, body, every part of your being. He said, I've given you everything I expect you to give me everything back, and I need, your, your, uh, I need you to realize that all of this is available to you right now. Verse 13, 
for the promise that he would be the heir of the, of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. And I've preached it before. I'm not going to go back over it. But the law of Moses was brought about for one reason, to prove to us that we needed a Savior. You can't keep it. And if you don't even know the law of Moses, you'll make your own law. And you'll fail. And the proof of that is how many of us have made New Year's resolutions. Average life of a New Year's resolutions is from midnight to 1201. We just, we can't do it. We aim well, we, we mean well, but we can't even keep our own law, let alone God's law. But that proves to us that we have to have a Savior. He says, but, um, let me back up. The promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. When, when God says that we are to humble ourselves, we do that because if we're not humble, grace doesn't become available to us. And it does not, does not mean that you're not born again, but it means that you can fight the fight, but you're fighting it on your own terms. God's not in 100% behind you, but when you humble yourself and you fight it His way and, and with His direction, then He gets involved. And He, he goes on in, in verse 16. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those that are of the law, but also to those that are of the faith of Abraham, the father, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. If you, that, that last verse there, that last phrase, God calls those things that don't exist as though they do exist. And the proof of that in each of our Christian walks is the day we got born again. When you call out to the Lord for salvation, you are not a Christian. But you call yourself a Christian when you're not. And God answers your faith and you become a Christian. He recreates you from the inside out. And, and, and it's already been said. I'm not perfect. None of us are. But at least I'm on the train. And I want to move. Well, I can only do that if I'm, if I'm fully taking advantage of God's grace. And it only becomes available through humility. And basically, the, the, Jesus said it in Mark 9, uh, when he sat down with his disciples, he said, if anyone desires to be first, he has to be the last of all and servant of all. You want to have authority in God's kingdom, you have to serve everybody you meet. Even the idiots. And let me even say particularly the idiots. And you know, idiocy is, is like, um, it's like old. I can remember being 17. God, I wish I could go back to those days. I was brilliant. I knew so much. 
And I've just getting gotten dumber and dumber. And I know, every, you know, young people look at you and think, well, yeah, your brain's been around so long, your brain cells have all died. No, I just realized that I really was ignorant and I didn't know it. But I also remember, and, and I, I've told this story here before, the, the two girls that I heard talking in my classroom one time, and, and it really caught my attention because I heard the one girl talking about this old man that was stalking her on Facebook. And that man, my ears perked up. So I started listening carefully, and in the course of the conversation, I found that old man was like 24. But she was 15 or 16, and to her, 24 was really old. To my, my grandkids, the, Tiffany's kids, I asked them not too long ago, how old is mommy? And, and Mordecai thought and thought and thought, and finally he said, I don't know, probably either six or seven. Because in his mind, at four years old, six or seven is really out there. Well, I can remember thinking that, that 30, man, that you're, you're, you're over the hill. You're gone. As I age, old gets farther out. Well, you can take, and, and don't, act, don't, don't look at me so pious when I say, you know, God calls us to walk in grace towards the idiots because you all have your list of idiots. We do. They're mental lists. But your list won't be the same as my list. And the, and the funny part is, when I put somebody on my list of idiots, I'm usually on their list of idiots. And they think I'm an idiot. Well, that's where the humility comes in. We've got to realize that just because we disagree, we don't have to be disagreeable. And neither one of us. I've, I've had so many theological arguments over the year. And I mean arguments in the good sense where we debate and talk back and forth <clears throat> and don't get mad about it. But the, 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 the fact is, you know, if the rapture happens, we're not going to care about those theological differences at all. And we're not going to care about our political differences. We're not going to care about any of the things. You know, I, I want run with a, a group of guys that trucks are a big thing. And I, 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 I just kind of, I don't have a truck right now, so I just kind of feed the animals. I talk to the Ford guys about how lousy the Chevy guys are and talk to the Chevy guys about how stupid the Ram guys are and just keep the whole thing twirling. Well, it's all in good humor because they all realize it's just a machine. But do you think it really matters to God whether you drive a Ford, a Chevy, or a Dodge Ram? Who cares? If it gets you down the road, I, I heard that. All I can say is there are, you know, there are rams in heaven. So, Jim, you're on the right track. Anyway, God says, if it, Jesus said, if you want to be the best and walk in the most authority, then you're going to have to be the servant of all. If we're going to be effective at prayer, I loved, I looked up what Andrew Murray said, and, and the Lord just told me this overnight. I woke up early and, and was thinking about this. He said, just look up what Andrew Murray talks about faith or about prayer. And I found this, this, um, this quote about humility. He says, here, this is Andrew Murray, this is in your bulletin. Here's the path to the higher life. Down, lower down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds men abased and empty, His glory and power flow in to exalt and to bless. The, the passage right after 1 Peter 5, 5, he says God will... will um, um, if you will humble yourself in the mighty hand, under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you in due season. To be humble, the, the Greek word there literally means to bow the knee. We have to say, God, I think I understand what's going on here. 
And I guarantee you, I got some strong opinions about everything that happened in Washington, D.C. this week. But I also have enough sense to know I don't know anything. I don't know the motivation of those people. I think I do, and I have an opinion of what I think. But I also have to look at the reality that God's looking at me saying, Son, there's so much going on. You don't know the demons involved. You don't know how many angels are involved. You don't know how many people here and here and here and here are praying. And what I need you to do is just shut up and get behind me and start praying for people. If we would pray as much as we gripe, we'd have a different nation. We'd have a different government. That's where the amen went. Second thing God said, pray. Humble yourselves. But then he also said, pray. Prayer here, this is talking about intercessory prayer. I'm not talking about my needs. I'm talking about interceding for the leaders of, of our nation. Um, I'm going to give you at the end of this, this prayer guide. And I picked this one verse. This is, is 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. This is Timothy, and this is, this is a, um, an imperative statement. It's a command. He says, therefore, I exert, exhort, first of all, that all supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Well, we don't have kings, but we do have men and women in authority over us. But notice why he tells us to pray for those in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. One of the keys of evangelism is having a, a quiet and peaceable life because we have prayed for our leaders and they're operating the way God wants them to operate. And if they're not operating the way God wants them to operate, the responsibility doesn't lie with them, it relies with me. How much am I praying for them? And how much am I praying God's will instead of God just strike them all dead? Let's start over. i got to be humble, but then i got to pray. But notice in my prayers, how do I do that? Seek my face. That's God saying that. I have to, to seek God's face means that I have to, He wants me to come into an intimate relationship with Him. I want you to come in and just know me. Figure out who I am and figure out what I want. And once we, once we do that, it's, we, we get to, to know Him the same way that I get to know anybody. Spend time with Him. Through prayer, but, but even more importantly, through reading His Word. If I'm not devouring His Word, I do not know Him. We're, we're, we're a nation who's forgetting how to write, forgetting how to write letters. I mean, 100 years ago, it's the only way you had to communicate. You wrote letters. That's what Paul did. But it wasn't just Paul and Peter and Jude and the rest of the New Testament writers it was God writing letters to us. This is who I am. This is how you have a relationship with me. And this is what I've called you to do. And when he says, seek my face, he's saying, get in my word and figure out what my nature is. 
And when you figure out what my nature is, you'll be able to figure out what my will is. And when you figure out what my will is, you pray for these men and women that are in authority over you, and you pray that they will be able to see me. I had an experience one time where the church we were, Gina and I were part of, um, <clears throat> it would grow to a certain point and we'd have a split. And we had done this, Lord. In the history of the church, and you know, the church was only 10 years, 15 years old. This was about the fourth time it happened in that period of time. And part of it was the per pastor's personality. He was a dynamic preacher, but he was also a hard man to get along with. And he'd draw people in and then drive them off. And we were having, every time we had a split, we had huge financial problems. So we were having a victory Sunday to catch up on all our bills. And we had had a victory Sunday the week before and the week before. And basically, Victory Sunday consisted of we just kept passing the plate till we got enough money to pay the bills for that week. And arm twisting was going on, and I'm sitting on the back row, and I'm I'm on the I'm on one of the elders in the church, and I'm fuming, I'm hot, like this is not right. You don't you do not pressure people to give. You trust in God for for your finances, and and you give. And give generously and trust God to bring it back and God will bless you. may not happen every night. Brother Hagin used to say payday doesn't happen every week with God. But you will be blessed. You can't help but be blessed when you give according to God's will. But I'm sitting there and I'm fuming and I'm fuming at God. I'm saying, God, why, don't you, why do you not talk to this man and tell him this is wrong? Because it is wrong. A blind Pharisee can see this is wrong. And I mean, God slapped me. I, my head hurt for a month. He said, I would be able to talk to him if, he'd never, if, if, if you would shut up long enough that all he sees, because all he's seeing and hearing right now is you and not me. And it was like, ooh, yes, sir. <laughs> Click. I'm done. No griping anymore. And, and with, with some of these things, with, especially with our government, we have to seek God's face and then pray His will, but quit griping and being angry. Believe me, God, can, God has plenty to be angry with this world about, and yet He's operating in grace towards us. We have to, in fact, He's called it. He said, pray for your enemies. Pray, bless those that despitefully use you. We are called to be a blessing to those that absolutely despise us. Well, I don't, know, I don't know that any of these politicians despise me. Most of them don't even know who I am. But I need to quit worrying and being angry about the events and pray for the people. And when I start praying for the people and we as a church... And I'm not just talking about Faith Community Church. I'm talking about the church at large. When we start praying for our leaders, we'll start seeing differences in our leaders. Because prayer works. And then the, the, the fourth thing he says, and turn from your wicked ways. And that again, he's speaking to us. Part of one of the problems with the modern American church, and it's not every church, but it's a lot of churches, is, is we have so watered down the gospel and we have gotten into um, sloppy agape, the, the grace that just, you know, God loves you, doesn't matter what you do. Yes, God loves you and He sacrificed Himself for you and He expects you, your life to change when you get born again. 
We don't judge sinners, but I do have to stand in judgment of myself first and foremost. Is my life conforming to Christ's life? And in every area that it's not conforming to Christ's life, I have to change. And He expects me to change. He demands that I change. So until the church starts waking up to the fact that we can't operate the way the world does, and most of that is tit for tat, you hit me, I'll hit you back twice as hard. No, don't misunderstand me. There are times to stand up for yourselves. But in your attitude, you have, to, you have to bless those that curse you. You have to pray for those that, that stand against you. It, he expects us to be different. Once we do that, and notice everything he's talked about so far, excuse me, he's, he's, we're, we're at the, towards the end of verse 14. It's all been directed to believers. And now he starts... Once you meet my conditions, my people, then I will hear from heaven. And, and remember this, when an ancient king said, I hear you, that automatically meant, I hear you, by hearing you, you're going to get what you asked for. Because if a king didn't want to grant a wish that you came in and gave to him, his response was, I don't hear your words. So when God says, I hear, I will hear from heaven, the, the, the strong implication is, I'm hearing your request and it's already on the way. So he's answering these prayers. That's why it's so important that we change and we line up to become more like him so that he can hear us. Because when we're cursing these enemies, and we're saying, God, just let all that dry up. And he's saying, I don't hear you. I don't know who's motivating. Remember, remember the disciples, when, they, when he was going through Samaria, there were some people that were jeering him because they were Jews. And the disciples said, you want us just to call fire down on those? And Jesus, you know, you know sometimes, and I know he, he walked in perfection, so he didn't have headaches. But I know he had to grab his head and, and, and just think, guys, that's not, that's not the Holy Spirit prompting you. That's a devil prompting you. You don't reach out to people that are doing that. Even David, when David, when Absalom took over the kingdom and David was fleeing, there was one of his um, guys that was a, 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 a friend of Saul's, and the guy hated David. And he took advantage of the moment. And he jeered David from the side of the road, threw, hurled insults at him. And I, I forget which, which of David's men it was, but I can, when I read this passage, I think of him. He's, he's got his hand on the hilt of his sword. And he looks at David and said, can I just go take his head off? David said, nope. Maybe he's right. I just lost the kingdom to my son. Maybe this is God's judgment. And then when David, when Absalom fell and David came back into the kingdom, the guy came and was sorrowful because now David's king. I really just insulted the guy that could take off my head. And the same soldier said, you want me to kill him now? He said, nope, just let him go. Just words. We, we need to approach these things, and when we do, God will, will hear us, and he will answer those prayers. But notice what he's going to do first of all. He said, I will hear for heaven, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
He, his, his answer is, I'm going to bring forgiveness. That's why we have to reach out in, to people in, in a, through grace and through mercy. Because God looked at us with grace and mercy. I've said it before, I had a, a, a situation where I had done something right. I don't know, I shall ought to be able to remember it because it doesn't happen that often. But I had done something right and somebody, and, and I'd gotten blessed, and somebody said, well, you know, brother, you deserve that. And I remember thinking, <laughs> no, dear God, if you knew all the stuff that goes through this head, if you knew the life that I lived, uh, the, the testimonies this morning, it's like take their testimony and compound it about a thousandfold. That's how rotten I was at those ages. And, and, and if you want to talk about what I deserve, I deserve to be born sick, live a short, miserable, painful life, die and go to hell forever and, and, and spend there and be tormented forever. That's what I deserve. But God said, no, John, I love you, and I'm calling you by name, and I want you to come be a part of my kingdom. If he can look on me, and Paul says I was the chief sinner, that's exactly what I feel like. I'm the chief sinner. And yet God accepted me. And he just accepted me, but he came and, and he poured out his spirit to change me and to make my life better. If he'll do that to me, how can I stand up and look at somebody? They may be acting like an idiot. They may be expressing evil thoughts. So did I. I have to reach out and say God's grace to you and pray for them. Pray for the, bind the enemy off of their lives. Pray God, the, the Holy Spirit, come in and deal with them. And, and pray blessings on them. Why? Because God blessed me when I didn't deserve it. I have to bless them when they don't deserve it. And, and, and the, the truth about the humility is, I don't know whether they deserve it or not. Maybe God's using them for this time. I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. But then when he says that he will heal their land, that, that word heal there is, is the, the, the Hebrew word rapha. Jehovah Rapha, I am the God that he will heal you. And the, the word for land there literally means a firm spot. It means where you stand. And for us, Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about faith, it says that, that our firm foundation is the word, and it's our faith in the word. So I approach all this with, with, my, with that in mind. And then verse um, chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 15, he says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Now quite literally, in context here, he was speaking about Jerusalem. He was speaking about where the tabernacle was and the temple was going to be. And that is, if you want to know why the Middle East is so important and why wars have been fought over Jerusalem for centuries and why there's such a conflict over Jerusalem today, it's because that is the one place where God has taken his finger and he said, that's my spot. Right there. That's my spot. And nobody else gets it. And the devil wants to kick him off of it. And God will resist that. Now, where exactly is that spot? I don't know if it's on the temple mound down below the temple. There are a lot of arguments over that. But that is what God's saying. He's saying, this is my spot. And, and because because here he's speaking to the nation of Israel. Because you have done these things, I'm, I'm going to watch and listen 
to the prayers that come from this place. Now, what we have to understand, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? That the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? If you are a believer, when God said to the Israelites, this is my spot here in Jerusalem, and my eyes and my ears are listening to this spot right here because this is where my people are praying. In the New Testament context, God is saying, you are my child and my eyes are open to you and my ears are open to your request because you are my temple in this earth. And that's why we have such a responsibility to do what he says to do. And then he closed it out in verse 16, back in, in 2 Chronicles. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now he's speaking of Jerusalem. That's why when, when the millennial reign is over, God's kingdom, well, all through the millennial reign, God's going to set his throne on the earth and Jesus is going to sit on a throne in the city of Jerusalem because that's his spot. And he'll rule there for a thousand years. But in the, in the eternities of, of eternities and for even for now, he's ruling and reigning right here in my heart and in your heart. If you call on the name of Jesus, he's in you and he, he expects us and requires us to, to be his feet and his hands and his voice in this earth. That's why he has called us. That's why he said, if my people who are called by my name, if I call on the name of Jesus, I have to pray. It's not an option. It's not a request. It's a command. If you live in this nation, you pray for your leaders. I remember when Billy Graham went to Russia. And he had an open-air uh, um, um, meeting, thousands of people there, thousands of people got saved. And in his sermon, he said, you all, and this was when I think um, Gorbachev was still president, it was still the Soviet Union. And he said, you are required by God to pray for this man who's in authority over you. And man, they crucified that man. Christians in the United States simply went berserk. How could you tell them they need to pray and submit to a communist leader? They need to rise up and overthrow him. Sometimes revolutions happen, but I'm telling you the greatest revolution that will ever happen is the revelation of changing people's hearts. And I, I don't think we'll know till we get to heaven how much God was dealing with Mikhail Gorbachev to change the, the situation in the Soviet Union to bring about the fall of that and to open it up to the gospel. Because I tell you, Russia, for all of the problems Russia has today, it's wide open to the gospel. There are churches everywhere and there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians in that country. Why? Because they prayed. It's all a result of prayer. Now, I want to share this, and, and these are available as you leave, and we'll have some out on the Welcome Center. If you want to get more than one, I printed up about 100 of them, and I'll print more. I'm, I'm calling this a 714 prayer from Second Chronicles 714, if my people who are called by my name. But what I'm asking you to do 
and, and I'm going to be a little more gentle than God, I'm asking. If you want to get in good with God, I would pay attention. 7.14 each day, 7.14 a.m., 7.14 p.m. Because remember, back before the election in, in 2016, we had 40 days of prayer. And people stayed away by the thousands. We had an hour, morning, hour and afternoon to pray. And 99% of the time I was here by myself. And I'm not saying that as a criticism. But I, when, I, when the Lord started dealing with this about this, it's like, God, I don't want to. I don't want to do this one more time and, ha and be disappointed because nobody shows up to pray. And he said, well, do, it do 714. At 714, we all have these little computers that run our lives. Set an alarm. 714. And this, grab this, and, and it has a list. And it's, some of it's filled in because some of it's the same for all of us. Some of it is different. But you need to pray for Donald Trump by name. He is our president. If you're a citizen of the United States, he's your president. You need to pray for Vice President Pence. I actually let, or included in there Mike Pompeo, who is the Secretary of State, and James Mattis, who is the Secretary of Defense, because those two men have the ear of the president when it comes to matters of war and peace. And what he hears is important. So we need to pray for them to, to have godly advice for that man. And then our senators, if you're in Indiana, it's the same. Joe Donnelly, Todd Young. And then I left the House of Representatives open because depending on what district and where, where lines switch pretty quick in this general area, um, write in your representative. Pray for that man or that woman by name. And then our governor, Eric Holcomb, your state and, and representative and state senator. Because those will be different depending on where you live. But I, I'm just, I'm challenging you from now till the election. You pray for each one of these people by name. Pray God's blessing on them and pray more than anything that the Holy Spirit will invade their life and speak to them. If he has to bring it in dreams at night, if they're not listening that God will move on these, and these are primarily all men, <clears throat> just happens to be that way, that God will move on these men to change their hearts and to change their mind. If you want to expand it out, pray for the whole Congress, I don't care. And then pray for the election, pray for, for the, the general electorate to know God's will. And, and to forget about politics and pray God's will and pray for the Holy Spirit to move on people. Because I'm telling you, I, I have strong opinions about where we need to go in this next election. But I can tell you there, there, there's, there are a couple of different scenarios that could be true or not true. Um, and, and I'm not endorsing Trump. I've said before, I, I voted for Trump. I've never been a Trump fan. He drives me crazy most days. But I like what he's enacted, and I particularly like what he's doing with the courts because he's, he's putting strict constructionists in the court. Now, you may not like that, but that's okay. We can agree to disagree. But let me give you two scenarios. The, the Republicans, because they're backing Trump, they gain seats in the House and in the Senate, and Trump wins re-election in 2020 and serves another four years, and we have a couple of more 
retirements in the Supreme Court, and we ended up with a 7-9 conservative versus liberal on the Supreme Court. That will change our nation and the direction of our nation for decades. Or, because we are reaching the end of days, the Republicans go down in flames. They lose the House, they lose the Senate. Trump gets, um, doesn't, he runs, but he doesn't get elected, and we, we elect a very far-left person in 2020. And they take the, the nation in the exact opposite direction, and it, there's been talk in the last few days that they need to do what um, Franklin Roosevelt tried to do, pack the court, add another four or five members to it, and put all ultra-liberals in there. Could that be God's will? Absolutely. Could be God's will. If we're coming up to the last days, he's got to position countries in certain places. Well, which one's God's will? I don't have the foggiest idea. That's why I'm praying that the Holy Spirit deals with these men and these women. That's why I'm praying that God deals with every person who's going to go to the polls. And I'm praying that he deals with me. Because either one of those scenarios could be God's will. And there's, I tell you, and, let me, and I'll be bold in this, there's not one of you that knows what God's will is coming this election. None of you do. Not unless Jesus has, has appeared to you face to face and said, this is what it is. <clears throat> but I do know that if the Holy Spirit moves on the right man and the right woman at the right time to do the right thing, we'll get God's will. And it won't mean that we have perfect peace. It just doesn't happen. Life's not that way. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.